Welcome to Beauty in the Gi, the podcast about jujitsu and so much more. I'm Jen Eads, a one-stripe blue belt full of curiosity and questions about jujitsu. And I'm AJ Klingerman, a Brazilian jujitsu black belt obsessed with jujitsu. I'm Jennifer Risser, a brown belt in denial about being a brown belt. <laughs> and I'm Natty Bus. I am a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I currently have a tickle in my throat, but I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> We're excited to have you. Risser, would you like to do the honors? Yeah, so we have a very exciting announcement. Natty has been with us through several camps, but she's taking on a new role this year. We're very excited to announce her as our final camp instructor. Natalie, are you excited? I'm so excited. It's been awesome being a part of the role model community and wearing different hats over the years, but I'm excited to step into this one as a black belt to share some jujitsu knowledge. Yeah, let's talk about some of the things you've taught in the past at Role Model Camp. Yeah, so I've taught a couple breathwork workshops, as well as some nutrition workshops and some roundtable discussions, and also some other roundtables about just being a competitor and any other questions that people have asked in those roundtable discussions, kind of using my wisdom and experience to kind of answer. So it's been all over the board and it's been awesome. So I'm really excited to continue to share my knowledge in those areas and then just kind of expand it into the jujitsu realm, having been doing this for 13 years. Awesome. Well, yeah, we're really excited to have you. You have really good jujitsu. You're a very fun competitor to watch. So I'm really excited to see what you're going to teach this year. Ah, thank you. I've been toying around <laughs> with so many things. It's been in my dreams for weeks of all the different things I want to teach, because as you guys know, being teachers yourself, it's like, there's so much to teach. What do I want to start with? <laughs> yeah. And how do I make it accessible? And like, how do I fit it in the amount of time I have? It's a lot of things to consider. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but for my session, is it like two or three hours? Yeah, typically it's like two and a half hours um, with like the warm ups and any live stuff that you want to do as well. Amazing. That's like an instructor's dream. <laughs> Right? Exactly. <laughs> Getting as much time as I want to kind of go through everything. It's awesome. What kinds of things have you been throwing around that you're thinking about teaching? Or is that a secret, trade secret? No, for sure. Um, so I, one of the things that has been, I think, staying true to who I am, which is a competitor, uh, coming up through the ranks, being a competitor from three months into jujitsu, you know, I think that one of the things that's really helpful is understanding not just concepts, but how to see techniques in sequence. Um, and not just like the evolution of like one technique, but really being able to what I call, a and what we've called over the years, kind of like a perfect world scenario. So it's, I'm toying around with the idea of teaching something that people can integrate from stand-up to submission. So really integrating a takedown because I got to stay true to my roots <laughs> as well as uh, some type of pass into a submission generally of something that I'm working on and have a lot of success with in competition, but also keeping it basic enough for our audience, which tends to be a lot of lower ranks. So it's really accessible to them. Like I don't do anything crazy anyway. My game is really basic jujitsu. Um, but I think it's really important to understand, you know, if you do desire to be a competitor, how do you address when you slap hands? <laughs> because that was one of the things that 
took me a while to understand because we learn all these individual techniques, but then it's like, oh, when it comes to competition, now I need to streamline and add these transitions back to back in order to make a fluid game plan. So that's something that I'm toying with. What are your thoughts? I love that. That's my favorite way to learn is a bunch of things that go together, you know, not doing like four sweeps from guard, but doing this is something that you can do from start to finish, stand up to submission. I think that's brilliant. Actually, I was selfishly kind of hoping you would teach a little bit of stand up just because your stand up is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we are definitely hoping for that. And that's kind of a way we sometimes run classes here too um, at Role Model Academy is like start on your feet and where does that take you? Like going through the full um, spectrum there. So I, I'm really excited to do that. That'll be a lot of fun. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that because that is one thing also. I wanted to bring something to the table that was a little different having been to several camps that I haven't seen before. And that was an approach I haven't seen before. So to offer something new, I thought, you know, I wanted to try to provide. And I, it's my favorite way to drill. It's my favorite way to connect concepts and to just, like I said, have confidence in competition. But then even more so, like one of my personal missions is to instill confidence with every single female athlete when it comes to takedowns. Because I've personally just been recently, like just, probably right before getting my black belt have been really focusing on my guard and pulling guard rather, because it's just something I haven't really done. I've always focused on takedowns and I realize having not just competed against, but also just in training, many people don't really know takedowns and mainly it's because their instructors maybe aren't judo players or wrestlers. So it makes perfect sense that they probably wouldn't be taught that. But I do believe that it is so important to have that one up in competition. Cause if you can feel confident from the get go and getting those two points, I mean like really the, the ball is in your court for the most part. I agree. That's awesome. Yeah. And I do think there's a lot of fear, um, surrounding takedowns, you know, like people, cause you don't do them a lot or, you know, like most people don't do them a lot. So there, there's a lot of fear surrounding that because of that. So it'll be good to like show them that it's not so scary. Yes. And yeah, just totally. so people know listening to this, I promise they're going to be low risk takedowns. So nothing that's going to be, you know, injury prone. It's one that I have so much success with in competition and any, and I teach this all over for many years now from all different ranks and heights and ages and genders and everyone can do these takedowns. So just to kind of, you know, minimize that fear a little bit for those who are like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So we have interviewed you before on the podcast. It was in September of 2020. So a lot has changed since then. <laughs> yeah. So at that time, you still lived in Pennsylvania, right? Yes. You didn't have a baby yet, though you were pregnant. <laughs> and you hadn't gotten your black belt yet. So a lot's changed since the last time. What feels like the biggest change for you? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with all of those changes. Uh, I think that, I mean, obviously the biggest change has definitely been having a kid, becoming a mom. That has been really life-changing and eye-opening and humbling and the best thing for my jujitsu. I think one of the things I really talk about a lot is how before having a kid, it was so much easier to have like self-imposed pressure 
because it was only, you know, I really only competed to for myself and to prove myself uh, to myself and what I'm capable of. And although that's still something I do when I compete, there's another layer to it that's really important. And it's how to handle success and failure, where it was really easy to be hard on myself because it was just myself. But having a kid, it really shifted my perspective of like, now, what kind of role model, pun intended, (laughs) (laughs) what kind of role model and you know, what kind of role model do I want to be for my son? How do I want him to handle failure? How do I want him to handle success? Um, what do I want him to learn, you know, having, you know, about when it comes to competition, if he decides to compete or do jujitsu, but if he does, you know, something along the lines of like, how do you handle failure and putting yourself out there regardless of the outcome and realizing that doesn't impact your self-worth regardless of what happens. And like that has been just a visceral shift of like, it's so much bigger than me now. And so that is the biggest shift that has translated into my jujitsu because it immediately took pressure off of myself, um, which of course led to better performance. And it, it just helped me realize that Jiu-jitsu, as much as it is my entire world, literally, it's literally just jujitsu. And there is so much more to life than just jujitsu. And honestly, before having a kid, I really don't know if I would have believed that. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a great perspective shift for sure. How has your training changed since having a kid? So let's see. Obviously, in the postpartum stages, that was a little bit of a transition back. Um, But I do believe that one of the things I often talk about is like controlling your controllables. And when I was pregnant, obviously in the midst of COVID, so that's another layer, but training was few and far between. And so especially so as I started to lose my core, um, that just became not an option. So just focusing on what the other things are that I was able to control, which was my nutrition, which was my mindset which was doubling down on recovery and self-care and and doing other cross-training that I could do being pregnant. And just doing that, I feel like set myself up for success to come back into jiu-jitsu and to transition back into jiu-jitsu with minimal resistance and kind of apprehension, like because I felt prepared. And I also gave myself grace to give myself time to just get back into it without any pressure of having to get back to where I was before I was pregnant and releasing all of that pressure just accelerated my transition back into jujitsu more smoothly and quickly. And I was able to compete five months postpartum and actually win. So that was really exciting um, because that was, I believe, no, 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 that wasn't my first brown belt competition, but that had been my first competition back in like almost probably a year and a half, which was the longest I've ever gone without competing. So to come back five months postpartum and win after that big hiatus, I think that spoke a lot to the practices that I had leading up to that competition for sure. And since then, I've been able to integrate training on a regular basis uh, about four to five times a week. And I bring my little guy with me. He's been on the mat since two weeks old. So he's definitely been starting jujitsu in his own way, doing stand up and bass and trying front rolls now. Um, <laughs> he loves, he loves doing side shuffles and he loves, 
he loves to run. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember him doing some running at camp. Yeah. <laughs> He's so, so cute. cute. I remember uh, at camp 2020, everyone was so impressed with you by how like, you know, you were just drilling so much and, you know, like you were just really in it, even though you were pregnant. Like, I think you've always been kind of a model of like not having excuses that you're going to figure out how you can best train for like your body or what's going on in your life. And um, I just think that's really impressive. Thank you. Yeah, I think that uh, above all, I always listen to my body. And that's something that I'm always trying to instill in athletes is putting down the ego, putting down this, these thoughts of the mind of that you're going to be behind and really just shifting into like your journey is exactly what it's supposed to be. And it might not be what you had initially thought it was going to be signing up as a white belt and the initial goals that you set, but the entire process is the journey. And once you become black belt, I mean, that's what you're quote unquote fighting for all these years leading up to it. And it's like, you really need to embrace every part of your journey because it makes for your story and you're the only one that has that story. So if you really kind of push aside these like quote unquote setbacks or things that weren't, uh, you know, along the original plan that you had set out, like you're just really missing out on an opportunity to embrace that part of your journey. And that's something that I really didn't want to do. I really wanted to embrace all parts of it. And it gets to be my journey, you know, as a brown belt in that case and how I navigated that. And I just think that, as I said, kind of controlling those controllables, it's important to just always listen to your body, but also realize there's other things I can do that are going to support me. And let me just put my energy and attention into that because I refuse to maintain a victim mentality. It's just something that I grew up a lot with and I just found so much disempowerment in it. And it was something I knew I didn't want to experience. Yeah. Last time we talked to, we talked about your six pillars of performance, which you've um, mentioned a lot of, you know, like in this conversation, but not as the specific pillars. Would you like to go back through those and just tell me, do you think there's one that's more important than the rest? Or do you think they're all pretty even? Yeah, I love this question. So yeah, so to, to kind of dive into each of the pillars. So there's training, which can also be classified as movement. So this can be cross training, this can be jujitsu, because this can be applied to people who also don't do jujitsu. Um, but that's kind of who I focus on. Uh, then that and that's going to be like the intensity at which you train as well as the duration at which you train but basically anything involving training and moving your body and working out is your training pillar then we have nutrition which is how you fuel your body this encompasses kind of how you fuel your body what you're fueling your body with and how you fuel your body is more so the mindfulness piece of being intentional and present when you're eating and, you know, not rushing your food and things like that. More of that mind-body connection aspect. The what is literally what you're fueling your body with. And the when is kind of timing, which is what I call kind of like a secondary advanced nutrition. This is really where the sports application comes in of timing your meals and your snacks to allow you to have sustainable energy and optimize your digestion and recovery. And then we have self-care, which is all aspects of self-care, learning to take care of yourself 
physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, which is really, really important to set the foundation for the rest of the pillars because how you view yourself is going to lend to the actions that you take that are either going to be self-honoring or self-destructive. And then we have mindset, which again is really how we think and the beliefs that we have lend to the actions that we take and the self-talk that we have. So really addressing mindset and the limiting beliefs that we have and rewiring them is really, really important towards supporting the goals that we have. And then we have our recovery, which is the physical, mental, emotional recovery, learning how to balance training and recovery so that we have longevity in jujitsu. That's something that's really important to me is helping people reduce inflammation, helping people prevent injuries from happening, prevent reoccurring injuries from happening, and really just to be able to have jujitsu in their life as long as possible and feeling good in that process. And there needs to be a harmony between training and recovery for that to happen. And then there's sleep, which is the most underrated pillar. And this is really important for allowing the body to to do the work and to heal itself. This is where we heal. This is where we build strength. This is where our hormones rebalance and our mind can rebalance as well. And so just getting adequate quality and quantity of sleep is really important. And when it comes to all of these, they're all interconnected. You could probably think to yourself right now how when one suffers something, one of the other pillars, if not more, are going to also suffer. Sleep is a great example of that. When we, you know, undershoot our sleep, get five hours of sleep, we wake up, we're groggy, our cravings might be a little higher, so we might not make better choices with nutrition, which affects our energy, which affects our training. So it just is a snowball effect. And so when it comes to the most important I created the wheel of performance because I wanted everyone to see each of the pillars as an equal part of the circle because they all contribute equally to each other. So it's, it's arguable that as I kind of hinted at, I think if I had to pick one that was above the others, it, it probably is going to be self-care um, because as I said, the way that we treat ourselves is really important. And that's an on all fronts, you know, self-care on a physical aspect is going to be how we're fueling our body. If we're going to prioritize rest and recovery and listen to our body, you know, so just like honoring the self is the most important thing that you can do on all of those fronts, you know, honoring yourself emotionally, physically, mentally. And when you do that, everything else becomes a little easier. So if I had to pick one, I'd probably pick that, but I want everybody to know that they are all equally parts of the equation. Nice. I love that. You know, I was just thinking every year to this upcoming camp will be our 10th role model indie base camp. So our 10th big camp like this. That's amazing. Thank you. And every year, you know, we always talk about, we want it to be our best camp yet. Like not our best camp ever because we always want to do better the next year. And just listening to you and how much knowledge you have to offer and knowing Emily Kwok and how just prolific she is, I really think that this camp not only will be our best one yet, but potentially our most life-changing camp. Absolutely. And actually, am I allowed to say what the theme is? Is that still a secret? No, let's do it. And actually, our theme this year is bloom where you're planted. And I feel like that really fits in with a lot of what you were saying. You know, to us, it kind of means wherever you are, whatever your circumstances, figure out, make it, you know, make yourself bloom. And I think that that really fits with your message. I love that so, so much. You know, one of the things that 
I really believe in that I fell into the trap for a long time was many of us resist the present moment and resist where we are. And when we resist what is, that's where we are is where we have the power to change. So when we're resisting the present moment, we're really just preventing ourselves from being able to, like I said, almost like step into where our power is and focus on what is in our ability to change. When we deny what our reality is, then we're just going to be in that denial, which means we're not going to be motivated to then take action. So I think that bloom where you're, you planted is an amazing theme. And one of the things that I always come back to is that accepting where you are doesn't automatically mean that you're complacent. And that was like the biggest thing I had to overcome over the years. I had such a fear of acceptance because I felt that acceptance meant complacency and complacency is one of my biggest fears, which is why I I don't fall into that victim mentality. And like, I'm always constantly trying to like grow and improve. But what I realized was there's, they are not one in the same complacency. If you have a desire within you to reach bigger heights and just to evolve into a better version of you, it has to come with accepting where you are in every single moment. But it doesn't mean that you're complacent. Complacency is just giving up and not having any desire to move forward. But you can still accept where you are and still work and strive towards the goals that you have while being in acceptance with where you are. And that's where you are in your life, where you are with jujitsu, where you are in your body, where you are in your relationships, but acceptance is the first step. And so that I think is beautiful to give people permission to bloom no matter where they are in their circumstances of life. That's fantastic. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be a great camp. So how are things going competing at Black Belt? You got your Black Belt fairly recently, right? Yes. um, September 1st, actually, I got it on the podium at Master Worlds, um, which was a beautiful experience. Shocking. And it took me a few days, actually, for it to sink in because I was still processing. I bet. Like kind of how well I did at Master Worlds. It was the best performance I ever had at IBJJF. And like I said, I, that was the least I was ever competing leading up to something major like that. And it was my first Master Worlds. There was just so many like things going on. Um, but since then, I'm really happy with my performance at Black Belt. I think it, getting my Black Belt was just this solidification that really allowed me to fully trust myself and fully trust in my jujitsu because I trust my coach. And I know that first of all, I've been doing it for 13 years. So some point I knew that I was going to get my black belt. And just that is a symbol of some type of expertise, some type of, you know, wisdom that you hold. And so just really honoring that black belt by not doubting it and stepping into it has led to success so far at black belt. You know, I can't even believe that I became a Nogi Pan Am champ. You know, like I said, my first, like I never, there's like on one hand, I could count how many times I was probably on the podium at IBJJF because of mental blocks that I've had over the years. And to be able to at my, I believe it. Yeah. It was my first black belt competition was pans and I came out as a champ and that just lended just so much. It just pointed to so much of the work that I've been doing and just that shift that I truly made. So that was a huge win. And I had other wins since black belt since that and hit some just like 
submissions and techniques that I've been working on. And it's just been amazing to realize that I can compete at that level and win. And that's a great feeling. (laughs) Yeah, that's really cool because that's a very deep belt. You know, the waters are very deep at Black Belt. There's not like a, oh, you've had your Black Belt for less than three years. This is your division. It's just, you're a Black Belt. Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And actually, it's interesting because, like, I'm so excited for the moments when I can fight people like, not that I'm calling her out, but but like Karen Atunas. I know, and I only say that because I know that she is in my division. But like, I'm more excited than I am nervous about fighting someone like that because I'm like, I cannot wait to first have the honor to fight someone like that. And second, like, see how I compare against them. Like, see what my jujitsu is really like against the highest level. Like, it's more exciting for me. And I know for sure, it's like, you know, as soon as I got my black belt, it was like a big relief because not so much of meeting that milestone because I kind of was like able to relax into the knowing that I was a white belt again. So it was just kind of like, ah, all this work, 13 years just to become a white belt again. And now I feel. (laughs) (laughs) That's one really cool thing about our sport too. You know, like if you play basketball for 13 years, you probably still aren't going to get to, you know, compete against LeBron James, (laughs) you know, like, but if you do jujitsu there, there's a time when you get to compete against your idols in jujitsu. And I just think that's really cool. Yeah. It's very cool. For sure. 100%. Okay. So we do need to kind of wrap this up. I know we've kept you a little longer than (laughs) we said we would, but this has been a great conversation. We appreciate you very much and are so excited to have you at camp. We typically ask for like an on or and or off the mat tip from our guests. Do you have a tip for our listeners? So let's see. I always have lots of tips. (laughs) (laughs) We love that about you. Is there any particular um, message that's coming through for you that I could speak to like honestly listening to you listening to you it feels like what I've gathered the most is like not putting pressure on yourself or holding yourself to certain expectations and that kind of releasing that has been one of the you know healthiest things for you and really helped you grow the most yes absolutely so to end on that note You know, I struggled with perfectionism for a lot of years. And so overcoming that has been the most liberating thing of my life. And that's where a lot of that self-imposed pressure comes from. So if that's you, you tend to have a large, largely critical self-talk, you know, take the pressure off, enjoy the journey. One of the biggest things I like to say is that, you know, the destination is the journey, you know, and really embrace all aspects of the journey, take the pressure off, allow yourself to have fun in jujitsu because your motivation will plummet and, you know, you'll start to lose yourself if you don't have fun. Fun needs to be like the primary factor, whether it's going to class as a hobbyist or whether it's going to be in competition, just really have fun. And I think what can also help is remember that having a why is really important too. Like, why are you doing whatever it is that you're doing again, whether you're a hobbyist or competitor, if you can connect with your why, it connects you to something greater than yourself, which can really help you zoom out. 
and not get so self-focused on like ego wise and like with that self-critical talk. So focus on, you know, why are you doing this for yourself, for longevity, for better health, for confidence, and just like bring that along with having fun into everything that you do. And your journey is going to be so much more enriching. And when it comes to perfectionism, last thing I'll say is, you know, being perfect doesn't exist. So you're holding yourself at this unattainable standard that's going to lead you to feeling disappointed, which only disempowers you. So perfectionism is the thief of joy and it robs you of progress. So in order for you to progress faster, release the pressure, allow yourself to be human, allow yourself to be messy because humans are messy. And, you know, one of the, I'll leave you with the mantra that is, <laughs> it seems very like obvious, but honestly, it helped me literally for decades because I thought I was a robot for decades. Um, and it's just, it's okay to be human. It's okay to be human. That is literally a mantra I use on the daily. Anytime those patterns of perfectionism want to come up, I literally just remind myself it's okay to be human. And it just really releases that pressure. And it just brings that sense of like, okay, mistakes get to happen and it doesn't affect my self-worth or anything else. So I hope that helps someone. Definitely. That's fantastic. That was fantastic. Where can people find you? You can find me most likely on the gram is where I hang out the most at Natty Boss RD, as well as our Body by Boss account, which is Body by Boss LLC on Instagram. Um, so come hang out, shoot me a DM. I'd love to message you. I'm always on there. So that's probably where you're going to see me the most. Um, I do have an email, but I don't check it as much because I have a lot of spam <laughs> emails, like <laughs> accounts and you know, subscriptions and all these things that I have yet to sit down and actually delete because it's soul sucking activity. But Instagram is where you can find me. And wait, let me do one more plug. In yeah. my <laughs> podcast, you won't be able to directly message me on the podcast, but please check out the podcast, the Empowered Athlete Podcast. I think you'll find a lot of value in it. And it speaks to a lot of the things that we talked about on this episode as well. So feel free to check it out on Spotify or Anchor and shoot me a DM if anything resonates. Fantastic. Jen, where can they find us? We're hanging out on Instagram at Beauty and the Gee Podcast. And I'm AJ Klingerman everywhere you go, except I'm role model on TikTok. <laughs> so random. <laughs> and you can find me at J Riz and the His on Instagram. All right. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on the mat. Beauty and the Gee is a production of the Brassy Broadcasting Company. And brought to you by Role Model Grappling. Check us out at rolemodelswanted.com.